Good morning. Uh, the Herdens bid you aloha. No nakui. Is that right, honey? No nakui. I don't know if I got that part right, but aloha. And uh, we are delighted to be here. It's always a joy to come back to uh, Laramie Valley Chapel. Uh, like Paul said, always new faces here. I see some old faces, but uh, it's always a joy to see uh, the new faces that are here. And every time I come back, Paul tells me about uh, people who have come to know Christ since we were last here, and, and then I get to meet those people and shake their hand. And uh, that's one thing I've always loved about Laramie Valley Chapel is it's such uh, uh, an evangelistic uh, community of believers, and uh, that's how I came to know Christ. It was through the ministry of this church. Uh, it happened for me back in 1991, and uh, it started with a young fella. Uh, sharing the gospel with me, it was Chet Hampton, and uh, just inviting me to youth, the youth group, and it took a couple of years for the Lord to break through, but he broke through, and that's why I'm here today. Uh, I'm grateful, as I think about the Thanksgiving holiday, I'm grateful for the foundation that was laid in my life um, through the ministry of this church, and instrumental, or I should say foundational, to that, um, uh, to, to, to that initial building in my life was the whole area of discernment, helping me to become a discerning individual, a discerning Christian. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning is, is the vitally important spiritual virtue of discernment and the Christian call to grow in discernment. Years ago, in Lake Toplitz in Austria, a very fascinating discovery was made. It, turned out, it turns out back in about 1945, when the Germans knew they were going to lose the war, they had stored all this false currency. It was false British money, British pounds. And their goal was to introduce this false currency into the British economy so that the British people, not understanding the difference between an authentic British pound and the fake, would circulate that money and eventually bring about a total economic collapse. And when that mission failed, they just sort of decided, okay, we're gonna, we want to hide this plot so they put them in boxes and caskets, and they buried those boxes in the bottom of Lake Toplitz, and it was discovered uh, some years later. But the idea is that just as they sought to introduce false currency into the British economic system, I would say to you, Satan tries to do something very similar in the church, and that is introduce lies and deception that will eventually bring about spiritual collapse. And that's something that all of us should be concerned about as believers because the danger is always there. So in uh, introducing, I'm not introducing this subject to you, I know you've heard it before, but in our discussion this morning, I want to share with you four points with regard to discernment. And the first is, how does discernment begin? 
Discernment begins, I would say to you, with a prayer, the prayer for discernment. And uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles or turn in your iPhones, right, that's what we say in our day, turn in your iPhone, Bible app, to 1 Kings chapter 3, I want to read to you verses 7 through 9. This is Solomon's prayer just before he became king of Israel. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen, a great people who cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. So give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So here is Solomon. Please notice how he regards himself. Now he's a grown man. He's the son of King David. And never would the nation of Israel be at a more prominent place in history than when Solomon was their king. So this, this, this man is a man, all right? But he regards himself as a little boy, a little babe. Did you notice that in the text? Lord, I am but a, a little boy. And who am I to rule this great people of yours? And so he says, Lord God, give me a spirit of discernment. Help me understand. Help me to be a righteous king that can judge between good and evil. You see, for Solomon, it began with a prayer. And because Solomon prayed for that and didn't pray for riches, the Lord gave him a spirit of wisdom like he's never given to anyone else in human history with the exception of the Lord Jesus. The prayer for discernment. And by the way, if you would pray anything for your president-elect, Donald Trump, pray that he would make this prayer his prayer. Because there's nothing more important for him, is there? I, I honestly hope that Donald Trump sort of feels this way. Like, Lord, who am I to be the leader of the free world? The greatest nation on earth, 330 million people I'm in charge of to lead them. God, help me, you know. May he have a humble heart and beg God for that same kind of spirit of wisdom and discernment to be able to judge, to make good judgment, to know right from wrong, good from evil. That's the basic meaning of what discernment is. It's an ability to divide and see the difference between what is right and what is wrong. I want to show you another prayer, this one from the New Testament. And this one is found in the book of Philippians, chapter 1. And this is the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Philippians. I remember coming across this prayer when I was in seminary. I was taking a prayer class, and this prayer struck me so much I decided to write a paper on it because it's profound. Philippians chapter 1 and verses 9 to 11, here's what Paul writes. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, 
having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Note Solomon, or excuse me, note the Apostle Paul's prayer there. I want you, Philippians, he says, I want you to abound in love. I want your love to abound in real knowledge and all discernment. What I love about that is it, is it proves that true biblical love is really rooted in true biblical knowledge and discernment, isn't it? You see, there's, there's a spirit that's been, it's been at work for a number of years. Even when I was a baby Christian, I know Paul warned us about this kind of thing. Um, there's this idea that, that sound doctrine and genuine love are somehow antithetical to one another, you know, repel one another, like oh, these two things don't go together. The opposite is true. If you're really filled with God-like love, then you have a spirit of discernment in you. You have this ability to recognize biblical truth and say, yes, that's the truth, and I love that. And because I love that truth, it fills me with love for others. And it allows me to approve of what God approves of. Now, you just stop and think about the spirit that's at work in our day. What are the two greatest virtues that the world says we need to operate by? It's tolerance and diversity, right? And by tolerance, of course, they mean tolerating what is evil and wicked according to the Scripture. And we can't tolerate that. If we were to tolerate that, here's, here's the thing. It would be unloving. It would be very unloving. You're not loving someone who struggles with, uh, let's say, same-sex attraction. If you are telling them that, hey, as long as you have a monogamous loving relationship with one individual of your, whoever that person is, then you're okay. God approves of that. See, that's unloving. You're going to be told that's unloving. Apostle Paul says, no, it's loving. We need to abound in the kind of love that's rooted in real knowledge and all discernment until the day of Christ, when Christ returns. So this is the prayer for discernment, and as I said, this is where it begins. It begins with a prayer. It really begins at the moment of salvation. That's when we start to become discerning people. Now, secondly, I want to talk to you a little bit about the dangers of life without discernment. Here are some dangers. The first one is this. A lack of discernment leads to living in darkness. It leads to a spiritual darkness. No capacity to understand God, to understand His Word, to understand His will, and this is the life, by the way, of the unregenerate man. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, the Apostle Paul says that a, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritually discerned. So an unbeliever can have the Bible read to them, can have the Bible preached to them, and they can listen to it, and they can understand points of doctrine, even finer points of doctrine, and know orthodox Christian theology. They can know the doctrine of the Trinity, have a reasonable understanding of it. 
They can know something about the virgin birth of Christ and why it's important. They can understand basic Bible doctrines. But they can have all that and yet lack the spiritual discernment that leads to eternal life, that leads to their ability to worship God. So it's not just understanding doctrine. It's an ability to spiritually apprehend that theology and have it take root in your life and bring about a transformation in your heart. And the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 that there remains over the Jewish people of his day, you know, he would go into the synagogue and he would preach to the Jews, and uniformly, most of them would reject his gospel. They would reject that Jesus was the Christ, and the reason he did that, as Paul said, is a veil remains over their heart. They had a veil over their heart. So they couldn't perceive, they couldn't understand. And that's the lack of discernment that Paul says is a danger here. It's life in darkness, and this is the darkness that unbelievers live in. Some of those unbelievers could even be here this morning, and I just want to point that out to you. I want to warn anyone who comes and just doesn't decide to follow Christ, but they just listen to good sermons and their life never changes. May God's grace break through in your life. The danger is, and see the reason, the reason for it really is worldliness. Worldliness creeps into the heart and it keeps pulling us away from deciding once and for all to follow Christ. Here's what Tim Challey said. Worldliness is departing from God. It is a man-centered way of thinking. It proposes objectives which demand no radical breach with man's fallen nature. It judges the importance of things by the present material results. It weighs success by numbers. It covets human esteem and wants no unpopularity. It knows no truth for which it is worth suffering. It declines to be a fool for Christ's sake. Worldliness is the mindset of the unregenerate. It adopts idols and is at war with God, end quote. That's the danger of the lack of discernment that leads to spiritual darkness. Here's a second danger of a lack of discernment, and that's foolish living. Foolish living. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is what brings about wisdom in a person's life, right? A person finally really fears God in their heart. They have this kind of deep reverence for God, and it causes them, when the Word of God is preached to tremble at his word. See, that's what, remember, Isaiah said, or the Lord said through Isaiah in Isaiah 66, as the Spirit of God moves to and through throughout the earth, who does he look for? People who tremble at his word. They tremble at his word. So fools lack the ability to make sound choices because they don't tremble at the word of God. And it's a very grievous thing to witness. You know people, you love people, you share the gospel with people, and you see them make bad decisions, and it's based upon a lack of discernment. 
And that lack of discernment is rooted in their lack of fear in the Lord. Proverbs 122, how long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. That word naive in the original Hebrew has this idea of openness. Openness. See, the fools say, I want to be really what? Open-minded, you see. This kind of open-mindedness is, is the openness that says, really, that they're open to all the ideas that are out there in the world. And they love to sort of latch on to the newest thing and, and, and what's new and trendy and exciting. You know, we're in the midst right now of a moral revolution, I believe, in our country, and it's the naivety of people, even very intelligent people, who embrace the, these fallacious ideas, and it's, it's mind-boggling. How do we get to a point of, of being open to this idea that, well, I, you know, I'm born a man, but if I declare myself a woman, I'm a woman? Where does that come from? That, that's naivety, isn't it? I mean, my goodness. And we have students at, at, at prestigious universities across our country who are filled with this kind of naivety. Proverbs 132, the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Fools tend to create a lot of misery for themselves through poor decision and poor decisions, and it's because they fail to discern, they lack understanding. If you know people in your life that are like that, and I bet you do, maybe people you love dearly, family members, just pray for them and, and uh, you know, continue to share the gospel with them and pray for God's grace to break through in their life. Because I know firsthand how heartbreaking it is to see and witness people whom you love make the kinds of poor decisions that they do that lead to a life of folly. And then a third danger of a lack of discernment, it leads to, and this is especially true for Christians, it leads to immaturity, to immaturity. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, the writer of Hebrews says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Discern good and evil. You see, mature people, they train their senses. They train their senses. It's as though they say to themselves, I need to learn how to think biblically and they have that heart that Solomon had, Lord, teach me. They have a teachable spirit. Lord, I don't know. I'll stumble and fall on my own. Teach me. And when they hear the word of God, I mean, they run to it. They run to it, and they love it, and they seek to understand it. What led me into a call to the ministry more than anything else, believe it or not, I had a longing to understand the word of God. That was really what prompted me 
to go and become a minister of the gospel. I wanted to better understand this word. And so I went and got further training. And of course, all that training helped me to mature. But I, I was brought along in my Christian faith by being under good preaching of the word of God. But not just by being under it, by taking heed to it. And really applying it to my mind, like saying, yes, this is the truth. And that enabled me to go and, and sit through classes that I took at the University of Wyoming where I heard prof professors espouse a worldview that was very much contrary to Christian faith. And if I had not been grounded in the truth, I could have been carried along by those lies and those errors. And so we must learn to think biblically, and that will help us mature in our faith, but it'll take training. It'll take your personal training. It'll take your rigorous sense of exercise, thinking about exercising your muscles of discernment to train your mind to think, is that right? Is that true? To go back to the Bible for yourself and say, is this what the writer is saying? Is that what, and you know, don't just take Chaplain Hurden's word for it. Go to the Word of God yourself and see for yourself. In uh, Matthew chapter 16, there's a fascinating account of uh, Jesus really condemning the Pharisees um, for their lack of discernment. Um, in Matthew 16, 2 and 3, it says, uh, When it is evening, Jesus said, You say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening, do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky but cannot discern the signs of the times? So you can see, oh, well, it's red. means we're going to have great weather tomorrow or something like that or today. But you can't see the Messiah in your midst and recognize this is the Holy One sent from God. And this was a point of condemnation that Jesus had for the Pharisees. And then his disciples or Jesus turns right around and he gives his disciples a lesson. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And the disciples start scrambling around and going, bread, what is he talking about? Leaven, what is he talking? Is he talking, we're eating the wrong kind of bread? And then Jesus says, guys, do you not yet understand? I'm not talking about bread. I'm talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. You see, those disciples, very young in their Christian faith and very undiscerning, were not able to discern spiritual truth when it was being taught to them. It was just, there was, there was kind of this hardness. And listen, if you're a new believer, you may not be good at this, and that's okay, it'll take time. But I would just encourage you, really take the time and make this a personal spiritual discipline in your life to become a discerning believer. Let me give a little bit more definition to this whole idea of discernment. And here's a quote from John MacArthur. Biblical faith is rational. It is reasonable. It is intelligent. It makes good sense. And spiritual truth is meant to be rationally contemplated examined logically, studied, analyzed, and employed as the only reliable basis for making wise judgments. That process is precisely what the Scripture calls 
discernment. Another writer says, when the Bible talks about discernment, when it talks about assessing spiritual things, it's talking about a rational assessment based on objective criterion. Objective criterion, the Word of God. You can't be too much in your head when it comes to spiritual discernment. Using your head is, is spiritual discernment if you're using the truth properly. So, so many in the church, so many in the Christian faith, they operate on this emotional level all the time. And you know, I talk to people all the time as a chaplain who go to a, a church here or a church there, and they say, oh, I love that message. I love, man, it just made me feel so good. And, you know, it's all about how it makes them feel. And that really is a sign of their immaturity. They're not maturing because biblical faith is a rational faith. There's this Hebrew word, ben, really simple word, and it means, and this is, this is often translated in the Old Testament, understanding or prudence, and it means insight. It means that. It means to have insight. It means to have understanding. J. Adams says it's related to a noun that means interval or space between. So there's a Hebrew noun, ben, that means interval of space between. And the idea is to have wisdom, to have discernment, you can put a space between what is good and what is evil and see what? The difference. Now, again, what's going on in our day is precisely the opposite. Good and evil, I mean, Good is basically being turned on its head, topsy-turvy, but things, the spirit of the age as I see it is trying to blend things and, and not divide things. I just read this book by Robert Jones. It's really interesting. It's called One or Two. Robert Jones makes the argument that there's really two religions in the world. One of them is seeing reality as one, the idea being creator and creation are blended together as one, there's no real distinction between the two. We call that pantheism. And it shows up a lot in political thought, in social thought. And what God did, you know, back from the beginning, the other religion is two, right? You have God who is separate from the creation. He's distinct from the creation and he rules over it. And what did God do when he, you know, in the creation week? He divided, Right? On day one, he divided light from darkness. And there was morning and there was evening, day one, right? Well, the spirit of the age is really, let's stop making distinctions. Even between things as basic as male and female. That's the effort being made. And so, we need to discern. Our ability to discern says, no, we put a space between it. This is good, this is evil, this is right, this is wrong. There's another word, understanding. It's the word bina, most commonly translated as understanding, but frequently as discerning. As one Bible dictionary puts it, it's a good sense or wisdom to respond properly to the Lord and His Torah, His law. And it's used that way in Daniel 10.1. It's used that way in 1 Chronicles 12.32 to speak of the sons of Issachar. The sons of Issachar... The Bible says of them, they were men, 
These were the elders who understood the times with the knowledge of what Israel should do. They had understanding. And see, that understanding led them to say, this guy David, he's the king, and we need to swear allegiance to him. They were like the, the, the sons of Issachar were the total opposite of the Pharisees. The Pharisees saw the Messiah, the son of David, show up, and they didn't discern. They didn't understand. He's the one. We should follow him, and we should lead the rest of the nation to follow him. They didn't have that understanding. The men of Issachar did. And we have to go a step further when it comes to understanding because, again, it's not just, it's not just in the mind, right? I mean, it starts in the mind, but then it makes its way down to the feet so that we walk according to, we apply that word to our lives, and that's when you know you're really becoming a discerning individual. It affects your choices. It affects your decisions. My simple definition of discernment, the ability to think biblically in order to separate truth from error, right from wrong, so that one chooses God's way for God's glory. That's what discernment is. There are better definitions than that, but that's mine. Take it or leave it. All right. Last point. How about discerning God's will? I just want to briefly cover this. There are two ways of understanding God's will. There's, first of all, God's will of decree. God's will of decree. And we, we all want to discern God's will for our lives, right? We all want that. Well, let's understand this. Sometimes when you encounter the will of God in the Scripture, it's referring to God's will of decree. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, the decrees of God are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His will, whereby for His own glory He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So this is the will of God that cannot be thwarted. It cannot be changed. It cannot be altered. It's determined from eternity past. If you want to know the will of God, you can read it in the newspaper. That's the will of God. It includes evil, by the way. God planned evil into his universe for his purposes. He's not directly responsible for that evil, but he planned it in order that one day he might triumph over it. Isaiah 46, 9 through 11, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. That's God's will of decree. Then there's God's will of command. And we see lots of illustrations of that. Ephesians 5, 17 and 18, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That's God's will. God's will. Be filled with the Spirit. Have the Spirit of God so permeate your life that it literally controls the way you think. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it's the will of the Lord that we be sanctified, that we be set apart, that we be holy, that we be growing in our faith. That's God's will of command. Be saved, be sanctified. Be set apart. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So there's a sense in which we can go, well, the will of God, how do I discern the will of God? I read my Bible. There it is. It's explicit. The will of God, his command. Anything God commands of me, I can know, take it to the bank, all right? 
cash it in. That is God's will for you. No doubt about it. But then there are these other areas of life that are a little bit more thorny, a little bit more difficult, such as Jeff Hurden trying to discern. See, Paul left out some details when it came to me and uh, courting Sarah and all that kind of thing. And I don't want to get into too much of it, but I was faced with the question, is it God's will for me to marry Sarah Weaver? See, now, many of you are faced with questions like this. I mean, you could say, well, you know, I'm sort of attracted to this girl. I know she's a Christian. I know that the Bible says I must marry a believer. But is it this believer or that believer? You know, this believing woman or that believing woman? So there are choices like that that we're faced with. There are career decisions that we're faced with. Um, basic non-moral issues, and here's where it can become more difficult. And we're asking ourselves the question, right? What's the will of God? Now, let's say if you go to Christie's little um, frozen yogurt shop, all right? I want to suggest to you, you have a choice of flavors there. Pick one. doesn't matter, right? What do you feel like? I don't think you have to pray about that is what I'm saying, okay? But there are more significant issues in life that you do have to pray about. I mentioned the one I was faced with when I was courting Sarah, and I was one of those guys who didn't wear shoes in Laramie, so my feet got cold, and, uh, you know, cold feet, so... I kind of was in and I was out, I was in and I was out, and poor Sarah, poor Paul, trying to help this guy, you know. Um, but I, I was faced with one last year. My brother was um, um, in a hospital, and I was faced with the decision of uh, do we remove him, his breathing tube, and, and it was a significant decision. Um, and, I, and I had to consider and weigh different things. What do you do when you want to discern? Well, you know, and this is a question I was asked. I was going to God in prayer. And my prayer was, God, I want to discern. What is your will here? And it was tough. It was really tough. I wasn't sure that my brother was a believer. So what did I do? And this is what I want to suggest that you do when you're faced with tough choices in life. You have... Pastors here, right? You have elders. You have godly people in your life. You go to them, and you ask them for counsel. The Bible says in a multitude of counselors there is much wisdom. You go, and you, and you pray about it, and you seek them, and you seek wisdom, and you seek other perspectives. And then you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you read the Word of God, and you make sure you're not just basing this on a feeling of, I feel I have peace about this, or I feel I don't have peace about that. That alone will never be enough. Make sure your decision is based upon biblical principles. And then you seek wisdom from wise, godly men and women who themselves are mature in their faith. And you ask for help. Story ended well with Sarah. I got great counsel, and I said, doggone it, I just need to marry that girl. And I did. 20 years later, here we are. Six kids, oh my goodness. Well, as you think about the application of this message to your life, just consider, first of all, 
when you hear the word of God taught, do you, does it resonate with you? Do you love the word? Do you love the truth? Because that's ultimately how you're going to grow in your ability to discern. It's going to be your ability to, to judge between what's right and wrong based upon how you are being informed by the word of God. And it might be that you don't yet know Christ. If you don't yet know Christ and you don't have this ability to discern, make today the day you repent and you turn to Christ in faith. Call upon him as your Lord and Savior. Believe that he died for you. Believe that he rose from the dead. Believer, I want to encourage you. Grow in your ability to discern. Make sure you are not swayed and tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that you hear out there especially as we undergo this moral transformation in our country. Make sure you're standing firm in that truth and growing in your ability to discern. Let's pray. Our Father, we just humbly come to you. We give you thanks for your word and for the truth that sets us free, the truth that illumines and transforms our hearts. Thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In our lives, we know we need the Spirit of God to teach us all things and to illumine our minds so that we do see and recognize that truth, so that we are able to put a very clear space between what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. Help us to that end for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.